Listening to KDBS 90.3 FM. I would like to welcome you back to UC Davis campus for winter quarter. And I would also like to welcome you to No Police Radio. You can hear us every other week discussing all things abolition from tuition to the prison industrial complex. Everything that has to go to make way for a free university. We'll feature conversations with guest organizers, abolitionist scholars, and people who have taken part in the university's radical history all with an eye towards how we get free. listen to Virgo by Michelle Negocello. Hello and welcome back. Uh, this is No Police Radio. Um, 
Today it's me, Roger, and we have DJ Ratstar calling in again. So today we're talking, um, you might have heard about it, recent news, especially for the UC, uh, but surprisingly, we're not talking about UC Davis today. We are talking about UC Berkeley, People's Park. Mm-hmm. Our parent institution. So... Today, there's going to be a pretty big content warning because we're, as always, talking about cops comes with violence. But in particular today, it's going to be pretty graphic. Um, there's going to be a lot of violence, racism, and incarceration that is being mentioned in our programming. So just a brief warning about that. So today, we're going to be talking specifically about what's happening in Berkeley and People's Park. Um, we're going to have a guest come on later, um, and we're going to talk to that guest and hear the, what, what they've experienced. Um, and I guess, yeah. Do you have anything to say? Um, yeah, if we have time, we'll try to make it to Bad Cough Good Project, but this time around it's... Yeah, because we're one hour this time. Yeah, so sad. But hopefully next time we'll be able to get more time. Um, yeah, honestly, this, this um, everything coming out of um, People's Park is honestly really difficult to hear. And I, of course, want to extend solidarity to what people are going through out mm -hmm. there before we really get into it. Yeah. Um, we're going to go to a quick music break.
that was the song I'm a Poser by X-Ray Specs. X-Ray Specs is always a classic. So, um, now we can kind of get into more of a timeline of what happened with, um, with People's Park for people who are not really up to speed. So, um, I guess I can get into that unless you have any opening things you want to say. All right. So, um, of course, going all the way back to 1868, uh, Berkeley's first land-grant university. Um, so there was the Moral Land Grant, the, the Moral Land Grant Act of 1862, and that essentially was a um, displacement and a mass, um, I guess, a mass genocide of indigenous people in California for the sake of um, essentially freeing up tons of land in California to be used for agriculture. And um, some of it was set aside actually to make various public universities such as UC Berkeley. Um, so that really is setting the stage for essentially that is how our UCs were actually formed was by a mass displacement of indigenous people. And going all the way to the 1960s, um, essentially the regents decided to use an eminent domain to condemn 45 acres of land, primarily in the south side. Um, and that would essentially be the stage that is set to become People's Park eventually. Um, I don't remember exactly what it was initially used for in the 60s, like in the early 1960s. They were uh, tearing it down to build new student housing and oh, okay. they didn't use all of it. Um, but yeah. the stuff it was before, like one of the things that they uh, bulldozed was um, racially integrated housing for the shipyard workers. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then, like, an, uh, mm, this wasn't the 1960s. They would do this later. This was, like, the 70s or 80s. But they would uh, uh, they would claim that the the house for the blind and uh, the school for the blind and the deaf was on a fault line, even though there wasn't any evidence that it was on a dangerous fault line. And they used that um, as, like, a pretext to condemn it as well and take that land for their own. I forget what they built on top of it, but either a sporting facility or another, like, hall or something. Yeah, um, in terms of also another important um, event that kind of happened during that time, too, was that um, because of a lot of Cold War scares, the regents decided to Im <laughs> introduce a lot of anti-communist policies, actually, that made faculty um, literally condemn communism and also anything that calls for the overthrow of the state, as well as um, kind of banning like any political activity on campus, especially if it was particularly anti-war or communist, so. Yeah, and then in 1969, um, they, so some of their funding for this new housing dried up. Um, they just had, like, they evicted a bunch of people, but some of these lots were just empty now because they bulldozed the houses. And in April, we see the creation of People's Park. And this is led by community members 
who just come together and go, this is <laughs> land that's been abandoned <laughs> yeah. by the university for over a year. It's just like a trash heap because they bulldozed a bunch of houses and never cleaned it up. Let's turn it into a community park. Yeah, essentially it was just kind of like an empty lot full of trash that they just decided to make into a community space. And that kind of leads into um, how the university decided to try to crack down on it by May 13th, trying to put up fencing to keep people out and declaring the space is, you know, um, unlawful, not supposed to be there, trying to privately force people owned. out of it, that it's privately owned or whatever, even though they abandoned it. Um, and this is the, <laughs> this is where it's like really bad. Um, two days later on May 15th, it's called Bloody Thursday for a reason. There is a pro-Palestine rally that happened and they decided to turn the rally to take the park back from the university. And um, of course they, deform, uh, they deploy law enforcement and they um, decided to fire a buckshot round into a retreating crowd of people. And this was a really large crowd of people. So there was one person who died and then another who was blinded and hundreds were wounded that day. Like there were tons of people in the hospital because of that. Um, it was around like 300 law enforcement that were deployed that, deplo deployed that day in riot gear and the crowd was like 5,000 people. So it was, um, yeah, it was really violent. They decided to just deploy their lethal rounds out into the crowd. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, Reagan would then in the same day deploy the National Guard because you hear news of, oh, the cops sh fired shotgun rounds into a retreating crowd. That's, people are going to react. So Governor... Reagan, when he's the governor of California before he yep. becomes president, <laughs> uh, deploys 2,700 National Guard, and essentially the city of Berkeley was under siege for three years. I mean, not three years, three weeks. <laughs> and he called it a state of emergency so that uh, he could stop people from uh, gathering again. So it was a whole curfew and everything like that, and essentially they were told that if four or more people were gathering outside that they would be broken up so the national guard would go in and break up literally just crowds of five people or more and there's literally a vigil for the person who died that day <laughs> and they still decided to tear gas them from a helicopter mm -hmm. and then jumping ahead in 1991 they uh, try to build a volleyball court in, like, a part that they still claim that they own. Uh, the activists battle this. Eventually, the university takes it, uh, takes the volley volleyball cart, just gets rid of the volleyball court. And then more into, like, very recent time in 2021, in January, so uh, three years ago from this month, uh, they evict a bunch of houseless refs, uh, residents and started fencing stuff off to do, like, geological surveys to prepare for construction. These fences were torn down, and if you see some of the photos from 2021, the students actually took the fences off and then left them at the like the steps of the chancellor's place. Yeah, it's an amazing photo, honestly. Um, it's sad how it came about, but it's a really, really interesting act of resistance that they did. Um, and things started to ramp up again in August 
2022 when the university tried to fence and start construction again and protesters tried to block it and now they're kind of an illegal battle mm-hmm. there's a supreme court case a state supreme court case that issued a court order that the university cannot do construction they can do fencing right now um oral arguments have not been scheduled for this month so this is like a long-standing thing and now we get to what's been happening this year um so essentially on uh january 3rd last wednesday um plans started to leak that uh the dining halls were preparing to feed 800 to 1400 cops uh 800 specifically in the start but at a peak um I think they said like Thursday morning they would have to be ready to serve up to 1,400. Mm-hmm. Um, and then midnight of that night, Wednesday midnight, um, 100 cops run out, uh, rush out of a bunch of vans. And they have construction tools. Uh, they basically tell everyone to disperse or they'll start firing non-lethals. Um, and they start demolishing the kitchen. They get the people out of the treehouse. They start cutting things down. They have chainsaws, ankle grinders, and seven people are arrested, cited, and released for trespass or failure to disperse. And then we get, and this this whole thing is just a continuous thing at this point. And then at like 3 a.m. next day, Thursday, um, the demolition continues. We start seeing a massive road blockage. Um, and they start pulling and shipping containers to build these walls around the park that are like two shipping containers high. And then 11 a.m. the next day, um, there's about 50 protesters on the intersections of Dwight and Haste with Telegraph. And they, you know, start protesting like this massive police occupation that shows up. And 1 p.m. later that day, one person is arrested um, for allegedly attempting to move barricades. They were cited and released at 4.30 p.m. same day, Thursday. Three more people were arrested for allegedly moving barricades, and a fourth person was arrested on a felony for allegedly riotously taking another person from the lawful custody of a police officer, is what it says. Um, There's video that's come out of this, and it shows police charging into the crowd and tackling people. There's reports of at least one person being hospitalized. And then... The two days after that have had a bunch of community gatherings, and the recently on Sunday there was a pro-Palestine rally. And I think that goes into a brief timeline that went, there's just so much history to this that there's a lot to talk about. But I guess we'll go into music and then we'll have our guest on.
Fridays for Future is a global movement of school strikers calling for urgent action on climate change. Every Friday, school children across the world strike from school for their futures, calling for leaders to unite behind the science, follow with the Paris Agreement, and keep global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. For more information, go to fridaysforfuture.org. That was Open Doors by Jit Wong, and now back to DJ Ratstar and Roger. Hello, hello, welcome back to No Police Radio. So right now we're going to introduce our guest for today, who was um, actually um, on the ground in Berkeley recently. Uh, their name is Jonah, and they're a UC Berkeley four-year history major and organizer with the Cal Young Democratic Socialists of America. So, Jonah, are you with us? One second. Can you hear me? Oh, we can oh, hear hi. you now. Yeah, we can hear you. <laughs> Sorry about hi, that. Hi, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Okay, so to get into our first question, we want to ask if you can tell us a little bit about uh, the UC's plans to start construction and uh, what happened last week at People's Park from your perspective. Yeah, so the UC has been you know, as you said, since the 60s, trying to build on People's Park. And the community every single time has said, no, there are many other places in the city of Berkeley near campus where you can build student housing that is affordable to students and doesn't displace longtime residents of the city. And every single time, the UC has come back a few years later and tried again. And so this last phase um, of trying to build dorms on People's Park started in 2014, um, and really in the past couple of years has escalated. Um, and right now we're in this precarious legal position where there is an injunction. Uh, there's a case before the Supreme Court where they're not allowed to build. Uh, they're not allowed to start construction. Uh, but the state 
state legislature and Gavin Newsom passed and signed a law during the last session that essentially uh, legal experts think will make the case moot. And so the UC is expecting that any day they will be legally allowed to do construction. But as of right now, any construction that they do on People's Park is fully illegal. Um, and so uh, we had been getting tips uh, from various folks uh, within the UC and within the city government um, about the UC wanting to put up a fence sometime over winter break uh, when students are gone, uh, many of them, and unable to protest um, like we were uh, the last time they tried to put fences up. Uh, and so uh, students and park residents, longtime Berkeley residents, community members, uh, gathered at the park uh, for a few nights last week, um, ready to defend the park from the uh, state-sanctioned violence that the cops were bringing in, uh, if that happened. And, of course, last Wednesday night, right at midnight, uh, early Thursday morning, uh, hundreds of cops showed up. Uh, there were people in the kitchen uh, where we... Uh, cook meals for unhoused people. There are people uh, on the roof of the bathrooms that the UC had cut off all uh, water and electricity and servicing to. Uh, there were people obviously sleeping in the park, and there are many people there showing up to defend the park and film the cops. Um, and so that's where I come in, as I was there filming the cops. Uh, I was standing right where a cop had told me to stand, I was filming a large group of police, uh, UCPD, brought in from all over the state uh, for millions of dollars uh, to come from all the different campuses to clear the park. I was filming them starting to shove some nonviolent protesters. And then as I was doing that, I was surrounded by five-ish cops, and they said, you're under arrest, uh, without telling me what I was arrested for. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Um, being detained and arrested by police is a pretty traumatic experience for a lot of people. I want to at least say that first. Um, it sounds really rough. Yeah, um, it's not fun. Um, obviously, I you know, I'm a white, privileged college student. Like, my experience in police custody is vastly different than many of my community members. Um, but even so, it's never a fun experience. Definitely. Um, so, you were saying, like, a lot of people were there specifically because they were hearing these reports that the university was, like, any day going to clear people's park. And we know why the university wants to clear park. Um, can you talk a little bit about why it's so important? Some listeners may not be fully familiar with the history of People's Park, but what makes People Park People's Park so important to the community and just such a valuable resource as it is? Like, what 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 are we losing? Yeah. So first, I'll just say that People's Park is a resource for far more than just the unhoused folks who live in the park or use the park services, um, but obviously that is a huge part of it. Um, the park since the 70s has been a place where the community comes together for meals, uh, for live music, for movie nights, for sports, 
art classes uh, for our chess club. Um, it's really, a, for decades, been a lively community gathering space uh, that obviously far precedes my, you know, existence as a student here in Berkeley. Um, but, of course, it's been a respite for the Berkeley homeless community who face police violence if they, quote-unquote, loiter anywhere else in Berkeley. At the park, people were able to eat, socialize, use the bathroom, access medical and financial services provided by community orgs uh, for decades. Um, and the UC is trying to take that away. And there's been a lot of talk of, you know, well, we have to build housing on this, quote-unquote, vacant lot. But as anyone who's spent any time in the park in the last 50 years can tell you, it is far from vacant. It's a hub where our community can come together and was truly, other than the chess club, which has now moved to the corner of Telegraph and Haste and the city government is also trying to crack down on, was really the last space in the entire Southside neighborhood where Berkeley students and non-students, longtime residents of Berkeley, can really interact in a setting where you don't have to pay first, in a non-commercial setting. Um, and I think that it's, you know, very indicative of the UC's long-term plan to try and isolate students from the community that we live in and try and force this artificial divide between students who come in for four years and leave and the people that have been living here, in many cases, for decades. Um, and so it's so important for us to defend the park, not just to, you know, maintain this space for unhoused folks to exist and gain resources and not be harassed by the police, but also for students to be able to learn about the community that they're living in so that we don't have this false divide, again, like I said, between students and non-students. Yeah, I definitely see what you mean about how important um, People's Park was as a third space for people in that way, that um, they could have a place where they can actually like organize and come together as a community. And that in itself is pretty radical, especially with um, Berkeley's past policies, um, which I'm not sure what the state of them are now, where essentially you couldn't really organize on campus. You couldn't do... Um, a lot of these things like protesting, like any freedom of expression, um, mutual aid, things like that actually on campus at all. And it seemed like it was, it was just a really great way to connect the community that is now lost. You have any comments about that? Totally. Yeah. So I think thanks to, you know, the free speech movement and the organizers in the sixties and early seventies, like Students do have a lot of those rights. Again, we obviously can do political demonstrations on campus, as we've seen with the, you know, several dozen pro-Palestine protests that we've seen in the past few months. Um, but because it's not truly public land, the campus is, you know, of course, run by the UC, uh, unhoused folks can often be uh, harassed by police, whether that's UCPD or Berkeley PD, if they're on campus. And so it's really important to, as you said, have third spaces that exist separate from the campus so that students are really going out into the community instead of just being isolated on campus for four years and then leaving. 
Yeah. And moving on, I want to go to uh, specifically, like, the role of the police in this, because um, here on NPR, as well, seasoned listeners will know, we... <laughs> yeah. Don't like the police. We think there shouldn't be police, and definitely like. So, um, <laughs> to get into that question, not to just plug NPR on NPR, but um, to get into that question, um, like, so we, we're seeing UCPD, we're seeing Alameda County Sheriff, we're seeing CHP. How are these? How are these different agencies sort of working together? Because, like you said, this isn't like the city's public park. This is the university. We see the university working with the city police and the state police and how, how in to like clear this land and basically prevent people's park from happening. Could you talk about that? Yeah. So in summer 2022, when they tried to put the fences up um, and did briefly put the fences up, uh, there was a big controversy because the city of Berkeley during the height of the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020 uh, passed a tear gas ban. And so the UCPD was calling on uh, the city of Berkeley to support them. Uh, and what what is ironically called mutual aid when a police department sends their officers to assist another police department. Uh, and they were also calling on uh, the sheriff's office and CHP to send officers, uh, but uh, because the city of Berkeley refused to lift its tear gas ban, uh, the uh, CHP, the sheriff, refused to send in their officers um, because they wanted to be able to use tear gas. So the UC got around this this time by bringing in hundreds of officers from all the UC campuses all over the state. One of the officers that arrested me was actually from UC Davis. Oh. I talked to another officer. Oh, yeah. I talked to another one that was from UCLA. There was another one from Santa Barbara. Uh, they were from, I think, every single campus. Um, they so came insidious. in specifically because UCPD, as a state-level entity, is not bound by the city of Berkeley's ban on tear gas. Wow. Um, and this, of course, isn't to say that the city of Berkeley is not fully complicit in this. To date, there has been only one council member of the eight council members plus the mayor who has said anything negative about the police presence in people's park um and the rest have either been silent or fully cheerleading it and the berkeley police department uh has been helping uh administer the barricades and uh helping ucpd uh maintain a several block perimeter around the park and check students' IDs before they're able to go into their housing every night because it's, we're now, it's basically martial law right now um, mm -hmm. where students are and non-students alike are having their IDs checked so that they can prove to the police that they live within the perimeter next to the park so they can go near it. Um, someone was arrested a couple days ago for walking on the sidewalk uh, a block and a half from the park. Uh, a woman was tackled by a police officer uh, and, uh, uh, from what I've heard, fractured a bone in her face. Uh, oh, my gosh. Because, of, because she was existing on Telegraph Avenue near the park. Um, and so this is the type of coercive violence that the state is using. And I mean that, you know, 
literally the state of California with the UC, but just the state in general with the city of Berkeley too. Yeah, it's honestly pretty terrifying how they were able to just mobilize as many UCPD officers as they could get to like this one area to really crack down on um, a movement that was happening. It sets a really bad precedent of what could come from this. Um, totally. And I'm not a lawyer, um, so you know, take this with a grain of salt. But they're the UC got an encroachment permit from the city, allowing them to put the shipping container wall on the sidewalks and in the street. I don't see anything in that permit that allows them to shut down blocks of the street at a time. Like, that is fully not their jurisdiction. Like, the UC legally owns the land that People's Park is on. They do not own the streets. They do not own the sidewalks. And they certainly don't own blocks away from it where they are currently not allowing people to exist in public space unless they can prove that they live there. Yeah. And on like because like we're we're looking at the tail end of things here, especially how like the police are getting involved, but it seems like this started partially like they're saying or at least the rhetoric of Berkeley is similar to what some of the rhetoric here we see in Davis. And I know in Davis there's new housing developments happening. Mm -hmm. I forget the name of one, but there's one that's specifically controversial. I'm pretty sure every UC has a controversial housing development. But yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know in uh, it's the rhetoric they're using in Berkeley is that um, they need to they need this student housing. But isn't I, I would like you to talk about isn't that sort of like an artificial crisis because we see uh, the University of Berkeley like increasing their admission more and more by each year, even though they know they don't have this uh, housing. Yeah, so there is absolutely a housing crisis. Like the UC only has enough dorms, even if every student is in a triple, uh, for a fraction of its students. Like that is 100% the case. However, has identified many, many, many other sites within blocks of People's Park where this housing for students could be built. Um, so I live two and a half blocks from People's Park. There is a tennis court, and it's a parking garage on the bottom, tennis courts on top, uh, a block from my apartment that has been deemed seismically unsafe. Like, if there's a major earthquake, it is a a major risk of collapsing. Instead of tearing that down and building the same student housing project that they've proposed to People's Park, uh, there, they're trying to do it at People's Park. And so the UC says that this is about housing, but it's not because they've been attacking People's Park for decades. Like, it wasn't about People's Park when they tried to build volleyball courts in 1991. On, I mean, it wasn't about housing when they tried to build volleyball courts on People's Park in 1991. It wasn't about it when they tried to build soccer fields. It wasn't about it when they put up fences around People's Park and left it vacant for three years. Like, it's never been about housing. It's been about trying to regain control and win this political battle because People's Park has been a stain on the UC and proof that they couldn't stamp out the radical history of Berkeley and the East Bay in general uh, since the 60s. Yeah, and that was... Um, I'll also point out... Oh, sorry. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, that, that was actually a huge part of Ronald Reagan's campaign was that he was saying he was going to 
clean up the mess in Berkeley. So it was really felt um, across the state with People's Park. Absolutely. I'll also point out that the UC, one thing that they say is they're, you know, some of the housing uh, at the proposed development will be supportive housing for unhoused people. Um, oh, and that part of it will remain a green space where they can, quote, honor the legacy of People's Park. That's obviously ridiculous, you know, for a few reasons. Like, you don't need to, if you didn't destroy it, you wouldn't need to honor it anyway. And as yeah. I've said, there's a big difference between for unhoused people and be, being able to exist in a community space that truly is part of the community versus one that is administered by the UC and overseen by UCPD. But also because not due to protests, not due to NIMBYs or anything like that, but due to the UC's own unwillingness to complete uh, a National Environmental Policy Act review of the project, the uh, Department of Housing and Urban Development pulled its funding from the People's Park project. And so because of that, the UC's supportive housing developer, RCD, dropped out of the project. So, you know, they can say that they're trying to build housing for unhoused people and, you know, make this some sort of compromise at People's Park where everyone wins, but they don't have funding and they don't have the affordable housing developer to actually do that part. The only thing that we know for certain right now is if they try to build this, the one thing that will be locked in is dorms that are above market rate housing. Yeah, and in a way, um, building that kind of housing for unhoused people after literally uh, sweeping them out and evicting them from their homes is kind of really coercive in a way. And that kind of leads us to our last question that we could probably fit in, which is, um, how do you feel about how the link between housing justice and police abolition in this whole situation and what kind of things we can draw from that. Yeah, housing justice and police abolition uh, policing has always been linked. Um, back, you know, the first vagrancy laws um, go back to the origins of modern policing in the United Kingdom back in like the 1600s. Um, and, you know, the people were forced to initially, quote-unquote, vagrants, people who didn't, you know, have homes, were initially exiled from the town or from the community or from the city until the state realized, oh, instead of, instead of kicking them out, we can put them in workhouses. We can force them to become wage laborers. Um, and so we can see also how the, you know, transition from feudalism to capitalism required the modern institution of policing to be created. Um, and how this crisis uh, was fully fabricated by the state and by the capitalist order. And that, of course, you know, is why we get things like vagrancy laws that exist in our modern uh, law codes. Um, and so, you know, obviously, if you care about building new affordable housing, great, me too. But any project that requires hundreds of, you know, armed police officers and thousands and millions of dollars spent on uh, 
forcing people to leave their community from destroying a community uh, landmark, uh, destroying a community center, um, simply isn't worth it. Because if they were proposing this exact same project two blocks away, there would be zero protests. Um, this has never been about housing. This has always been about rectifying the mistakes of the UC in the past. And as you said, winning what Ronald Reagan couldn't uh, by stamping out People's Park. And there are unfortunately many, many people that are willing to do that by any means, means necessary, which means they're willing to use an incredible amount of state violence and state resources that could be used to build affordable housing in other parts of the city um, to make that happen. Yeah, and if there are any Berkeley students listening to this, uh, take sociology of policing with Professor Lale Bevahanyan. Uh, <laughs> it's great; you learn a lot about this stuff. Yeah, and thank you for coming on, and especially thanks for telling us that like there's UC police, uh, Davis police there, because yeah, this I is like really interconnected. Like from I know we're in Davis and you're out in Berkeley, but. I, I sort of like to think sort of what you're talking about, like sort of having this community between like the university and people not in the university, but also just community between universities, like this NorCal community that we should all come together and really resist this policing. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. If anyone at UC Davis sees Officer Hosna, let him know I say hi. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, we totally extend all of our love and solidarity from Davis out to you Berkeley folks. And thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'm really sorry about what happened to you. It sounds really horrible. And um, <laughs> what was his name again? <laughs> the officer Hofsna. Officer Hofsna. Okay. Sounds good. Um, so yeah. we thank you so much. All right, um, we are probably gonna go right into a quick music break and an ad break, and um, we'll see you guys again soon.
You've heard about the opiate crisis. Opiates are powerful, pain-reducing medications prescribed by doctors, but they can also be very dangerous. In fact, most overdose deaths involve opiates. So what can you do? A lot. Trouble with opiates often start at home with unused medications in your cabinets or drawers. Opiates can be in pill bottles, syrups, or even prescription patches. Whatever they look like, dispose of unused opiate medications safely before they hurt your family. Find out how to remove the risk at fda.gov slash drug disposal. Hello and welcome back to No Police Radio. Um, that was a pretty heavy segment, but honestly, most of these can feel heavy sometimes. Um, right now, we're going to go into a quick bad cop, good project section. Uh, today's bad cop that we just learned about was Officer um, Hofsna. Hofsna. Or Hofna. I think Hofsna. Okay. Uh, from UC Davis PD. Why are you going all the way to Berkeley? Yeah, why why are you going to Berkeley, man? What, <laughs> what are you doing over there? Uh, How much are they paying? Yeah, honestly. So, in terms of good projects... Um, yeah, the, our good project is related also to this segment. Um, we just wanted to highlight like what the community's been doing these last few days in Berkeley. Um uh, as our guest mentioned, there was, like, a chess club. Um, I know in the history of Berkeley, like, one of the organizers of the chess club was, like, brutally arrested. Um, but they've been keeping, like, the spirit of chess club alive, even though the People's Park is gone. Um, and, like, the last couple days, uh, right now, because uh, if we didn't say during the timeline, um, there's sort of, like, a 24-7 occupation or, like, community gathering because since they've lost this third space, they've sort of created a new third space um, at the intersection of Dwight and Telegraph, sort of extending to the intersection of Haste and Telegraph. So just that block, that one block with those two intersections, they've... Mm -hmm. Like, they have chess boards out, they're playing chess, they're really, you know, they're getting that community interaction. It's so nice to just see different members people from all different backgrounds just coming, you know, playing a game of chess where they both have the same pieces. Um, and also, there's free food. Um, I can't name all the organizations that have been doing free food. There's a whole bunch of different ones. There's Foods Not Bombs. There's a group, forgetting their name, but something about soup, soup something. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they also... Um, 
I think it was on Friday. No, Saturday, I think it was. They had a free store. So not just because, like, every day they've been supplying free food, snacks, water. But they had a free store. They had uh, free hygiene items, jackets, because we're getting in colder weather. Mm -hmm. Really showing that they support the houseless community and going from even though that they lost this third space, they were able to create a new project to really come together as a community and support each other. So that's our good project for this segment. Honestly, um, in the way that late-stage capitalism has really been ramping up to make us more isolated, it's really great to hear about projects like this where, despite police violence, they're still resilient and they're trying to keep the community alive around People's Park even after everything that's happened, and it's really great. Um, there was even a lot of impromptu punk shows that were happening. Yeah. And honestly, it's really cool to see Destroy Boys out there. The, yeah, the, Destroy Boys. And yeah. then, like, there's a bunch of other bands, Fatal or Fatal. Um, yeah, that was, like, for at least two nights they were coming together and just pr- really, like, because, like, one of the main things that you need about these third spaces is you need people to show up. And when you have these punk bands that people know, that really gets everyone into these spaces. And they may not initially be like, oh, they may not know what's going on. They may not, like, have a, compre- a good comprehension on police abolition. But when you really come together, it's really easy to have these conversations and see what's going down. Yeah, kind of like recently, um, something that really radicalized people was... Um, kind of something similar that a lot of people behind the Stop Cop City movement did with holding a music festival and what happened after that. It created um, new connections in spite of what the police brutality that followed that festival, like all of those events happening. And um, seeing it happen in Berkeley shows that it's a really good um it's just a really good idea to do to build connections with everyone else. And it is really cool that a band like Destroy Boys that like has really blown up recently would use kind of like their platform in that way to bring more people together. Yeah. Yeah. Combining of communities, the punk community, good DIY aesthetics, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's really <laughs> it's really going back to the punk roots with um kind of in a sense like um, occupying that with um, the squatting culture and yeah. punk. It's kind of bringing it back to a lot of those roots, and it's really cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. This has been No Police Radio. We are now on Mondays from 4.30 to 5.30. Um, we'll be back in two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was great talking to everyone today. Thanks uh, to our guests for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Jonah, if you're still listening. Uh, This is DJ Ratstar. And this is Roger. And we'll see you next time.